how's it going this week? Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means it's another week of money in the bank. So, are you ready for your trivia question? All right. Season two trivia questions just keep coming. So, what percentage of home buyers in the United States are buying a home for their very first time in any given year? Uh, the population of people between 20 and 30. So, like, I don't know, 10%, less than 10%. One third of people buying a house. 30%. 30% of people buying a house are doing it for the very first time. So one in three. All the time? That seems pretty high. I well, know. I feel like older, you know, a lot of people get into the house and they stay there for a while. Yep. So they're not doing it all the time. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. The turnover for houses that sell, 30% of those. Yeah. Yes. Not 30% of the population on any given Correct. day are buying houses. Yep. Yeah. Well, all right. So he's going to... Give himself that point on the technicality for not understanding the question. You're pretty bad at these. All right. So we are talking about being a first-time homebuyer this week. So what was that process like for you? Yeah, we've been first-time homebuyers a couple times now, I guess. So um. No, just once. (laughs) You only get that once. That first one was a dry run, so we only had it for a couple years. Um, Doesn't matter. That was our statistic. So I feel like ours went pretty smoothly. I mean, you had done a lot of research into where we wanted to be specifically. We kind of had the the area nailed down. Uh, We found kind of a, we we thought it was a really good property. We bought it for, uh, I think we were thinking more for like shorter term, not a forever home kind of deal, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A starter home. Yeah, trying trying to make sure that we bought into something that was going to have like a better return, you know, because we knew we were going to sell it at some point without having to put a whole lot of money into it. So we decided to buy like a newer house, right? So we were looking at nothing that was older than like 10 years because we figured, you know, that has less maintenance requirements, right? Because it's newer, less things to go wrong. Uh, right in our experience in hindsight that is not the case uh newer houses can be worse than houses that are 20 30 40 years old yep um right and like for or 100 years old right or, we're buying one of those soon too yeah yeah that's true um, but i feel like we learned a lot about the financing process and you know the taxation rate and when you know your taxes go up when you um you know buy a new house and they don't tell you that when you're getting the mortgage right <laughs> all that all those little nuanced things too yeah so really, you could have had a very simple answer, and husbands out there kicking you for this one. All you had to say was, well, my home buying process was easy because of you. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have to do a whole lot. All I had to do was bring some money to the table and then, you know. And it just happened. Wash my we hands We just had a house. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I wanted to uh, talk about it because I think you were a- very involved in the home selection process. But I think the side that you maybe were a little less involved in was the kind of first stage. So in this podcast, I really want to talk about, you know, if you're a first time home buyer, what's the very first thing you should do? And that's to figure out your budget, right? Right. And more importantly, when, right? When as a first time home buyer or somebody that is potentially going to buy a home in, you know, X number of months. Or when, years. When, when should I be start planning for this, and when should I when should I be listening to this particular podcast in advance of buying the house? Right. Yeah, and I would say, well, first of all, I would say you can never start too early. So, you know, you could be an eighteen year old listening to this podcast, and you could buy your first house in ten years, and this is still an appropriate podcast for you. Also, you could be on your tenth house, and this is an appropriate podcast for you because we're probably going to talk about 
things that maybe you didn't do the first time or things that you could do better, right? Yeah. Um, so this isn't solely for first-time homebuyers. I think the goal is this is kind of a crash course of if you've never bought a home before, here's what to do. But I think anybody can get something from this, right? So um, as Brett mentioned, you know, how many months are you out from buying a house? Well, honestly, buying a house is more, you should be planning for this for years because it takes a lot of money to save up a down payment, right? So when we bought a house, for example, I had been paying off debt like crazy. And in the meantime, Brett had been saving money like crazy. So he funded our entire down payment or most of it. I might have brought some money probably to the mo- table. Yeah, probably most. Um, but, you know, that, so that's a, that would, I would say, I guess, is a step zero. Um, it's not really part of the home buying process per se, but it's something that you definitely need to have in order. And that is having your down payment saved up. Right. So, and knowing how much that down payment is, like what percentage of the house is it, right? Is yes. it okay to go in with 0%? Is it, you know, the, only the right idea to go in with 20% or more? Right? Is more a bad idea, right? I mean, there's all kinds yeah. of, depending on what the market looks like right now, right? Or when I'm going to buy the house, those those answers may change even. Yeah, so we'll just dive into step one, and that is to figure out all of the finances. So that's a big animal, right? So when I was buying my first house, I went and met with a mortgage broker well before I thought I was going to buy a house to get an understanding of what am I going to get approved for? What do interest rates look like? And how does this whole process work? And then after that was when I you know, contacted a realtor and went down that road. But the very first step is to get your finances in order. So um, you know, I will tell you a great first step is to go and talk with a credit union or a bank and talk to their loan officer and get a feel for what would you get pre-approved for? What would your interest rate be? Because those are kind of key things to know. And I will also note that on your own, you should have an idea of this is what I want my monthly payment to look like, right? So we always recommend that that, that your house expense be no more than 30% of your take-home pay. So let's just say you make Three grand a month to keep it easy. As take home. As take home. Coming into your bank account. So you can have 1000 to spend on a house. Now, that doesn't mean that your mortgage, like your principal and interest can be 1000 That also means your taxes and insurance because you have to pay property taxes and you have to have homeowner's insurance. So homeowner's insurance will be roughly $100 a month. And that can vary a lot too. So make sure you get a quote for that. But you know, you could pencil in 100 as a decent estimate. And then property taxes, you should look up for your area what the property tax rate is because those not only vary by state, they vary by city, they vary by township. So I can't even give a very good ballpark of property taxes. Right, but it's also public information, right? So if you are definitely targeting a neighborhood or two or three you can look up the houses in that neighborhood and yes. look up exactly what they pay in taxes. Yes. Right, there's you know public public registry for that. Exactly. So so from that, you know, 1000, we're going to take out the 100 for our homeowners insurance. Then let's say our property taxes are 300 a month, right? We'll just throw a number out there. It could be much higher or lower than what you see. So that's 400 out. So that means we have 600 for our principal and interest. So then if you go online, you can find an amortization calculator and you can plug in your $600 and then 30 years and then interest rate, which currently the interest rate is actually approaching 5% now. 
for a 30-year mortgage. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're still right around 4.5%, but it is increasing towards that 5% more and more. So you can plug all that in and figure out, okay, you know, what dollar amount is that? And with, uh, you know, about $600, you will be roughly in the $100,000 range for a house. Okay. So... You know, and in the in the Midwest here, $100,000 can buy you a house. If you're in New York, San Francisco, right, that's, they're going to laugh at you. Right. That's what you come to the table with. So That's not even to, paying rent in those areas. Though. Right. You have to know your, your market as well. But um, that gives you a good idea of how to translate a monthly payment into a house price. Because I think a lot of people have trouble connecting the two. And that's how you can get into trouble. And one caveat I want to mention... While we're on the topic of monthly payments and property taxes, and this is something you alluded to just a minute ago, Brett, but when you buy a house, that's when they can reassess what that house is worth for property taxes, which means basically every single time you buy a house, even if you looked up the property taxes for that specific house and you said, okay, they're $2,400 a year, $200 a month, well, they get to reassess. And if that house hasn't been sold in 50 years, they've been grandfathered in at that lower rate, and all of a sudden they're going to bump it up. So you might go from paying 2400 in taxes to 3400 in taxes annually. Right, because the house is just appreciated in value that, you know, or according to the city that is looking that up. Right. right. They make up their own numbers and you don't get to argue with them about it. Yeah. So then after, you know, you close on the house and you move in six months later, all of a sudden your monthly payment goes up a hundred bucks. Yep. So, so after, yeah, after everything is locked down and your price has been agreed to with the, the mortgage company and all that stuff, then the taxes will adjust themselves the month after you get into the house. Right. And, and, you know, don't be surprised when that happens. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, another thing to know is. We've talked about this before too, but homeowners insurance can go up every year. So it's a good idea to keep an eye on that and to call and renegotiate those rates because otherwise, before you know it, your monthly payment goes up, you know, 20 bucks every year and very quickly it can become unaffordable. So I think a common misconception is once you have a mortgage, your, you know, monthly home cost is locked in. Well, no, just your principal and interest piece of your PITI is locked in, which is principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. But your taxes and insurance can change every single year and most likely will change every single year. So it's not a fixed rate. It's something that can fluctuate over time and will likely only ever increase over time. Okay, let's talk about the insurance a little bit. So who am I paying for that, right? Is this all just one big paycheck that I pay out every month in my house? Or is my insurance separate? Is the Are the taxes separate like they used to be? Yeah, that's a really good question. So before the subprime mortgage crisis in 2005-2006 timeframe, this was all separate. You would pay your principal and interest to your loan provider, your bank or your credit union. And then you would pay your taxes to your county and you would pay your homeowner's insurance to your insurance company. But now, because of the mortgage crisis, we set up what are called escrow accounts. Well, escrow accounts are basically your mortgage company holds your taxes and insurance for you, and they take a little bit out of... So you pay a monthly amount, and then they set aside so much every single month so that when your tax bill comes due, they can just pay it for you. Now, they did this because they had people who were paying the mortgage provider, but not paying the taxes. So then there were these properties that had huge tax liens and the bank still had to recover from that. Yep. 
So you lose the house either way, right? Either you don't pay the bank or you don't pay the government. Both of them want the house back. So now if you have a mortgage, everything is handled through your mortgage company. But if you buy a house with cash, then you still have, you are still responsible for paying your insurance company separately and your county taxes every year. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, you know, you could set aside monthly money to do that and sinking funds, which we've talked about in the past. And so you said you could you could talk to your bank loan officer, your credit union loan officer. What about like how is that separate from a different like mortgage broker? Yeah, so we actually used a separate mortgage broker and you know, basically they're all going to be relatively the same because you're going to end up with a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan essentially. Those are the two big loan providers and Ginny Mac's in there as well. Um, but basically you're going to get a loan and oftentimes that's going to be backed by the federal, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan servicer. So you don't really notice that on your end. It's the same portal for you, right? You log into your bank or your credit union and you pay your mortgage. Now, the benefit of going to a mortgage broker is a lot of times they can negotiate different rates. So we went through a mortgage broker because that's where we got the lowest rates. Sometimes credit unions will be able to give you a better rate because you're a member. So I actually encourage people to shop around. If you are meeting with mortgage brokers, they're going to pull your credit. But if you meet with three in the same week or month, for example, it actually only counts as one hard pull because it's all for the same purpose. Right. I think it's it's the same rule that renters go through when you're running an apartment, right? If somebody's going to do a hard pull on your credit to do a background check, you have a 45-day window in which you can pull it as many times as you want and it yeah. only counts as one. So I recommend talking to many people. You know, we kind of settled with the mortgage broker we did because I ended up developing a very good working relationship with them. And, you know, they they were quick. They did a great job and we got a really good interest rate. But I know certain people prefer to support their credit unions. Other people prefer to go through something like Rocket Mortgage because it's all virtual and very easy and they approve everybody. Right, so that's quick and great. Loan. Yeah, quick and loan, which is all the same thing now. Yeah, quick and loans and Rocket Mortgage. It's all owned by the same company. Yeah. So you can you can go multiple different directions there. I just recommend that you search around and find the best rate because even saving a quarter of a percent on your mortgage because it's a 30 or 15 year note saves you a ton of money. Shopping around for that is one of the best things you can do to save money in the long run. So good point. Is it better... Is it a better recommendation or is there a reason I would choose a 30 or a 15 year mortgage? I don't think anybody as a first time home buyer is looking for a five year mortgage. Yeah, so 15 year will actually give you a better interest rate than if you do a 30 year. Yep. So usually you can get it for half percent or a percent lower. The caveat is you have a higher monthly payment. So a lot of first time home buyers kind of get nervous about having too high of a payment. So if you spread it over 30 years, you get that lower payment. And we've actually gone in both directions. We've had a 30-year mortgage. We've had a 15-year mortgage. And it kind of depends on what your goals are and if you you know need that monthly income or if you'd rather have the house paid off faster and have a lower interest rate. So for most people, I recommend if you can do a 15-year, I would do it. But if that higher payment you know kind of scares you or you're nervous about making every month, do the 30-year and you can always pay on it like it's a 15-year. Because it still needs to fall into the rule that you said, which is that it should not exceed that payment amount. Right. Once it's calculated, Correct. whether it's 30 or 15, should not exceed um, 30% of your of your take-home pay. Right. right. So, and even if it does, right, it, it, let's say let's say the 15-year mortgage does 
match your take-home pay because it's you and maybe you're moving into a house with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Um, I don't know how reliable that income is permanently, right? Because right. what happens if you guys break up or right? even if you're married and you get a divorce within a couple of years? Like, you, you, gotta, you don't want to like be in a situation where like now you had that terrible thing happen to you in your life and now you can't afford your house payment anymore, right? So Yeah, be, and I know this sounds very doomsday to a lot of people, but, you know, Brett and I have always actually purchased houses that we could afford on either one of our salaries and not because we ever thought we were going to break up or anything like quite so doomsday or terrible, but more so because that way, you know, when we were saving an emergency fund, we didn't have to be as nervous if our emergency fund wasn't fully stocked yet. Because even if one of us lost our jobs, we could still afford to stay in the house. And when I say we could afford on either salary, I don't mean it takes up our entire salary. I mean, it was 30% of the take home for one of us. Right. Like you bought the first house that we bought totally based on your numbers alone, ignoring my salary completely. Right. Like I provided additional income for the down payment. But basically, I was like, yeah, you, you make the payments for the house. It's all part of that. And everything that I bring in is just like going to something else, right? It's right. going more into our 401k. It's going more into our mutual funds. Or, or other properties, or right? Other, yeah. I mean, not, very not, successfully, we've done that. Right. In hindsight, it turned into other, other properties, right? So, okay. Well, we've talked about the finance picture a lot. So I think we're ready to move on to step two, which after you figure out what you can afford and you set a price then it's a good time to talk to a realtor and tell them, I'm looking for homes in this price range. Now, when you set a price range, make sure you say a ceiling. And something I really liked about the real estate agent we use for our first time home buyer buying experience is she was very cognizant of our budget and did not push us to up it. So even though the bank actually pre-approved me for t- double literally double what I said my budget was, she never pushed back that that's what I said I was comfortable with. And I I just wanted to make that point because I think a lot of times people go to, you know, loan officers and they hear this amount and it's very exciting because of course, who wouldn't want to spend all this money and move into a super nice house, right? But a lot of times they will tell you that you can afford much more than you really should. They will tell you that you can spend 50% of your take-home pay on a house or no, 50% of your gross income on a house. Oh, wow. Let alone, you know, take out taxes and all that stuff. Um, And I recommend 30% of your take home pay. So it's, you know, literally about double is what they tell you. And not all the time, you know, not for everybody. I understand that. But but I mean, that's the model of the business, though, right? Because on the back end, you know, and, and there are good people to work with, and there are bad people to work with, right? But the realtor is getting a percentage of the of the maximum price of your house, right? right? And so is the mortgage company. They're getting a t- percentage of that loan that they sell. And, and that's right? why I really recommend finding good people because we had great people that we worked with in our first time. They never pushed us to go over the budget that we set. Um, my mortgage broker actually would not tell me what I was approved for originally. He told me to bring my price point to the table and he would tell me if I was approved for that amount or not which I think is really awesome right that's a super respectable thing to do right versus like oh you're approved for 500,000 right right and let's you know so let's find you something in the 499 range yeah right and then you know I, I took my budget to my real estate agent she set up a search on the MLS for us so every single week I was getting emails of what's on the market now you know what can we buy for this and then after time 
we realized that we couldn't get exactly what we wanted for the original price point we set. So we upped our budget $10,000 and then we found a house that fit what we were looking for. Right. So um, we didn't, we didn't like blow it out of the water. Cause I think I was talking in the first place of, oh yeah, we can, you know, we could increase it by like 60,000 is like yeah, what I was He wanted for. to increase it by 60,000. I really stuck to my guns. We compromised. I increased 10,000. Um, and, and we found a house that was very good for us for the time. I would say. Right. And you got to know your market too, right? Because I mean, this all comes down to doing the math and the numbers need to work out between the ability for you to be able to pay this house and pay the mortgage and the availability of those houses being in the market that you're trying to buy in. Yes. Or the neighborhood that you want to be a part of. Right. If you can't hit those numbers, what do you do? You you just shouldn't buy it. Right. Right. And, And that's another really important thing is doing the research. So you know, I talked to my real estate agent and she set me up with the MLS search and it was, you know, much earlier than when we were planning on buying. I had been looking at houses for probably close to a year by the time we bought one. So I knew the market very well. I knew the neighborhoods very well. I knew where we wanted to be and I knew that my budget was realistic for what we were looking for. And I think that's really important too is like, do the research. So, you know, talk to your mortgage broker, get an idea of what you can afford, find a real estate agent, and make sure in finding both of those professionals that you're finding people that you're really comfortable with. And then, you know, don't don't also think that all the work's on them. Make sure you're doing the research, you're looking at listings, you're getting a feel for the area and, you know, how far your dollar will go and where you want to be and all of that sort of thing and be realistic about it. You know, we knew when we were first buying a house that we couldn't live in the part of town that we live in now because you can't buy here for what we wanted our budget to be. Right. Yeah, we weren't even close for that. And it took us, you know, five years to get to that point where we thought it was more comfortable. And we got super lucky and we got like a really good deal in this area that we just happened to, you know, fall into our laps. Well, because we had been watching the market and we knew it was a good deal when we found one because for you know, three years we had been watching the market to be like, what's the average price point? You know, what are houses like this selling for? And then when we found one that was, you know, priced 30000 less than anything else we had seen, we jumped on it. Yeah. So, so I guess that circles back to, you know, how far in advance should you be preparing to buy a house, right? And it's, you know, as far back as it takes you to feel comfortable that you understand the situation that you're trying to get into. Right. And, yeah. you know, saving for a down payment does take years. I mean... If you're stocking away a couple hundred dollars a month for a house, it's going to take you a long, you know, five years to save up a down payment in a lot of instances. So right. and shooting shooting for twenty percent down to avoid all the penalties that go right. along with lower than twenty percent. And yeah, and then being able to afford that mortgage every month after that. And something else I wanted to mention for first time home buyers is in a lot of states, I know Michigan is one of them, there's a first time home buyer credit. So if you're buying in certain counties or certain cities, there's a free down payment amount. I know in Michigan, it's $7,500 that they just give you to go towards your down payment if you're in a qualifying county and you have a qualifying income. So it is definitely worth asking your mortgage broker about that. And if they tell you, oh, I don't really know about it or, oh, I wouldn't worry about it, find somebody else to talk to right? who will give you answers because that is totally worth it if you can qualify for that and get that. 
Yep, that's one of the best programs you could you could run across. And usually, first time homebuyers are not making enough money to disqualify them from that program. So, right, uh, definitely, definitely look into that if you don't do it yourself. Yeah, definitely walk away from that mortgage broker if they don't if they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So we found our broker. We found our real estate agent. Now we found the perfect house in our budget in the neighborhood we wanted. Now what? Well, this is where having a really good agent comes in handy because they will help you find a good inspector. That was something huge for us. We've, we're on our fifth property now that we've bought and we, and our first one got set up with an inspector that was marvelous, right? So we've used him on every property and that's just really good to have a good inspector come in. So you know, if there are any problems, what they are, what they're going to cost you, because Owning a home is not cheap ever. So like knowing, okay, what is my first year of expenses going to be look like is very important when you're making that purchase, right? Yeah. When is your furnace going to die? When is the air conditioner going to die? Right. Your roof. Yeah. yeah, When is the roof going to fail? Do you need to repair anything? Has there been any water damage, you know, anywhere, um, you know, check the the fastenings on the toilets and make sure those are not like the trash ones from Home Depot that are the cheapest thing ever, right? Because those are the things most likely to leak in the house and cause a big flood, right? Uh, Yeah, just, I mean, you need to look at everything. Make sure your bedroom has insulation in the walls. You know, that was our problem, right? Yep. Uh You know, we didn't check that in the summer when we bought it and it turned out to be a big problem for us in the winter. Yeah, so, you know, have an inspector come in, find find all those issues and then, Also, you can do a pest inspection, you can do radon, right? You can check all of that. So once you do that, if you're happy with all of that, then you, you know, move towards closing. Now, this is actually the part of the home buying process that is probably the most difficult and something that I have completely shielded you from, but it is all the shit that your mortgage broker asks you to come up with constantly, day after day, (laughs) night after night, until you close on the house, right? Because they want to know your entire life history and everything, right? So, I mean, but but in all seriousness, you have to provide the last couple tax re- annual tax returns. You have to provide pay stubs. You have to provide bank statements. You have to provide if you have a spouse. So even when we bought um, this house, the house we're in now, Brett and I were married, but um, I was buying it in my name. So we still had to sign different stuff, you know, talking about the deed and who is going to hold the title. We, in the first house, you gave me the down payment, but we were just engaged at the time. So you had to provide a letter saying that like, it was a gift to me and you weren't going to come back. And then... Oh, they needed all my bank statements though too, because I had given you the money, right? So if anybody transfers like a, if you move a lot of large money around, like a couple, let's say more than $3,000, just moving around in your bank account, they're going to be like, hey, where's this money Even going? Even more than like $1,000. Or, or where's it coming from, right? Yeah. So you need to be very careful about like not transferring funds and, and you know, not making huge payments and stuff like that yeah. when you're doing this process or even leading up to this process three months at least. Yeah. Um, because yeah, they're going to be checking all this history and wanting to know where, you know, Where's the stuff going? But they check everything. They uncover every stone. They look at everything. So if you can be more organized going into this process and have your tax returns and have your bank statements, that's just going to help you turn that around quicker and make sure you hit your closing date. Now, when I say closing date, that's the day that you and your real estate agent and the sellers and their real estate agent all meet up at a title company and officially sign all the documents to give you the keys. And that's the day you bring your down payment 
and everything gets signed, right? And then you walk away with a house, which is very exciting. Yep. In and out. Usually, In and out. usually does go pretty fast. So. Uh, I mean, it's usually still like about an hour process or so because mm-hmm. there is a lot to sign. Um, I've perfected the doctor scribble. <laughs> so I get through signing very quickly. But if you have like a pristine signature, it's going to take you much longer for sure. <laughs> yeah. I used to sign every letter of my entire name. So, you know, it would, it's almost 20 characters and without just with a middle initial. And you're just like, squiggle, squiggle. Yeah. <laughs> right? It took me, took me like 30 seconds to sign my name for one second for you. Um, something I did want to mention too, while you're going through closing, that's when you also reach out to an insurance agency and make sure you have insurance on the house because that's something that you will need to close. Um, the mortgage broker will need to know that you, you know, have insurance lined up to start on the day of closing. So, you know, you ha- you are responsible for reaching out to an insurance agency and getting a quote for that. You can reach out to several. We've talked about that in the past. I mean, you can you can save a lot of money by shopping around a little bit there. Absolutely. Yep. Find a find a good insurance broker locally in your area. That, you know that, and talk talk to more than one because they don't all sell the same products with the, you know different companies. So um, they'll all give you different prices. Yeah. All right. So should I do a quick summary of all the steps? Yeah, there's a, a lot of stuff. Yeah, so then you end up with the house, right? And then, you know, you, you've bought a money pit. and Congratulations! The, the fun starts there, right? So it's, yeah. Uh, it's going to eat up a, a whole lot of all your money is going to be invested in the equity of the house. And uh, except for the money that's replacing the air conditioner and the all furnace. All right, so now you're going to get more doomsday. <laughs> so why don't I run through all the steps? So step zero is to save a down payment. That can take anywhere from... 10 years to a thousand years if you're trying to buy in San Francisco, right? Um, so step, step zero is to save money for the down payment. Step one is to find a mortgage broker and really get all of your finances settled, get your pre-approval. Step two is to find a real estate agent. Make sure you're finding one that you're compatible with, that is keeping your budget in mind and, you know, is very willing to communicate with you and, and listening to you. I think that's really important. Then after that, you're going to schedule your inspection and you're going to get all of your closing documents in order. You're going to be very well organized. You're going to get everything turned around very quickly. And then congratulations, you get a house. So, you know, I think the big thing about being a first time homebuyer is if you find good people to work with, it is pretty painless. But you do have to kind of keep all of your ducks in a row. I remember, you know, something I think is really funny is my mortgage broker, I've worked with him three times now on three different home purchases and he loves us. And I was talking to him one day and I was just like, you know, you always say like, I'm, I'm one of your, you know, best responding clients. And, and he said, you'd be amazed how many people we ask for something and it takes them a week to, you know, upload their driver's license picture or something. And really that just slows down the whole process. So if you want to close on time, just make sure you're, you know, being respectful that when they ask you for documents, you're giving it your best effort to get that turned around as quickly as possible. And I know sometimes, you know, locating these things can be a little bit difficult, but staying on top of that will make the whole process much more painless. Right. And just talk to them in advance when you're getting your pre-approval and say, what fi- what information do you need from me? So and start looking for it then, right? Yeah. Don't wait until they ask for it and then be like, I need to go find my tax return from three years ago, right? And it's like not right. saved on TurboTax. So where the heck is that? But you know, they have to have it. You don't just get to like not 
give it to them because you can't find it, right? Exactly. Somebody's got it somewhere. You gotta get, you gotta file a claim with the IRS to get it back. Then at that point, so yeah. Um. All right. Well, so lastly, Brett, do you listen to a lot of other podcasts besides ours? Uh, no. So okay. Well, I do, and <laughs> you know, a lot of podcasters talk about audacity. So this is not sponsored, but I want to talk about Hoopla. Have you ever heard of Hoopla? Uh, no. So instead of Audacity, because we are a podcast for the average Joe person looking to save some money, Hoopla partners with your local bank to give you audiobooks for free. Okay. Right online. So, so it's free Audible? Free Audible. So here we are, completely not sponsored, literally, in any way. But I just wanted to give a shout out to Hoopla because I've been using this service for just about a month now. Never knew they existed. It is completely free through my library. I've read three graphic novels on there and I've listened to an audiobook. And then there's all sorts of TV shows and movies and books and ebooks and audiobooks. So it is a wonderful free resource. So if you are paying for an Audible subscription, I recommend you cancel it and try Hoopla. Join your <laughs> local library. <laughs> And so do you need an you need an account with a library to be able you to do. use the service? Okay. Yes, but it's not the only one. Which is free. It's free to get a, a service through your library. And there's Hoopla. There's also Overwatch. And there's like two other ones, I think. So usually if your library, they'll at least partner with one or two. So then you can, you know, if one of these places doesn't have the audiobook you're looking for, another service might. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's a very cool thing that some people might be paying money for. Even, you know, books. I, I'm an avid reader and I recommend supporting authors and everything, but books are free through the library. And if you don't want to go to a physical library, then joining a service like this and having free ebooks is a really great alternative. So I just wanted to throw that out there for people who you know, might be looking for different ways to get entertainment or TV shows. I've been actually watching a couple TV shows on it as well because we canceled Netflix. So this is kind <laughs> of like your all-in-one, you can cancel everything and try Hoopla. It's the one thing that, yeah, none of the other companies can deliver is one, one-stop shop for all the different movies and TV shows and services and music, right, that everybody wants. Yeah. So, so. interesting. Okay. All right. So there's that. And have a good day, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.